0: Hi there, my name is Probably Marshall and I'm one of the hosts of the podcast you are about to listen to. As such, it is my ethical duty to warn you that this podcast contains swear words and spoilers about a TV show called The Good Place. Also, unlike my co-host Hannah, I have never produced a podcast before, so the less than perfect audio in the first couple of episodes is my fault. Sorry that sort of thing bothers you when you want to skip ahead, feel free to do so. No hard feelings. In fact, you can skip around all you want. By episode 4, I've pretty much figured out what I'm doing. In episode 5, we start coming up with weird new segments. If you're just here to find out when it's okay to break a promise, that's covered in episode 6. Uh, the weirdest places we've gone pee are listed for some reason in episode 11. And we talk about our skincare regimes in episode 12. The rest, you'll figure out on your own. That's it. On with the show.
1: Welcome to... A podcast that is not about the good (laughs) part.
2: Welcome to... A podcast not exclusively about the good part. A podcast... In part, but not entirely.
0: (laughs) About two people... Trying to learn how to be better people by watching a sitcom.
1: And also, there's a third person here. (laughs) Three
2: people. Who is not learning to be better.
0: Hello, and welcome to Bad Choices, a podcast about two people and also a third person trying to learn to be better humans by watching a sitcom and then talking about it.
1: I'm your co-host, Hannah McGregor.
0: I'm a slow-witted but kind-hearted flower arranger from Alabama named Florist Gump.
1: That's a beautiful name, and you have a really distinctly (laughs) Alabamian accent so your story checks out sure does.
2: and our guest today hey guest you want to say hi i am your untested first guest i mean
0: we haven't tested any of the guests
2: <laughs> i mean what's a guest <laughs> i don't know i haven't been tested in the harsh world of podcasting
1: well so this is how you do it you attempt to be funny into a mic and then you find out whether or not you were successful by how much uh, our, of your words are our, in the final Our version. erstwhile
2: producer leaves <laughs> in. I am the guest who will be edited out of this podcast.
0: <laughs> What's your name, guest?
2: Oh, my name is Jessica.
0: Hi, Jessica. Hi.
1: Hi, Jessica. All right. So, uh, Florist, was it?
0: Florist Gump. Florist Gump. I uh, regret this already. Florist. Uh, this is a podcast about a TV show called The Good Place. Place where we watch it and then talk about it and try to figure out how to be good people.
1: Yeah, so this is not a recap podcast. We are not going to talk through what happens in the podcast, and we're only going to talk about outfits when they are relevant to conversations about ethics.
2: I'm learning all of this for the first time. Yeah, so are our beautiful (laughs) listeners. You are
1: playing a role that is known as the listener surrogate. It's not a recap podcast, but we are doing this episode by episode. So we just watched
0: episode one of The Good Place. Everything is fine. On this episode... Eleanor Shellstrop wakes up in an afterlife of sorts, where she is greeted by Michael, the architect of this utopia she finds herself in. Uh, He explains that entrance to this good place is based on how ethically a person lived their life, with points given or taken based on their behaviors and decisions. She's praised for being a death row lawyer um, and saving many innocent lives in between voluntary aid missions around the world. Um, she's then introduced to her soulmate, Chidi, a uh, Senegalese professor of ethics. Uh, Eleanor immediately confides in Chidi that the information about her is wrong. I feel like that
1: I did it off my face. I appreciate <laughs> it. Uh, that
0: Eleanor confides in Chidi that the information about her is wrong and that the biography described was not hers. She, in fact... Spent her life selling fake medicine over the phone. Dun
1: dun dun.
0: Oh, twist number one. Before Chidi can decide what to do, they are whisked to a welcome party at the house of their neighbors, Tahani and Jianyu, where Eleanor becomes frustrated, irritable, and, and drunk, and drunk, quite drunk. Um, the following morning, they find their utopia has descended into a chaos that keenly represents elements of Eleanor's less than good life, as well as some of her most notable misbehaviors from the previous day. Uh, we see flashbacks of Eleanor's life on Earth, where she rather successfully made a living by uh, knowingly selling a worthless medicine to the sick and elderly. And the episode ends with Eleanor asking cheaty to keep her secret and help her become a better person so that she can stay in the good place.
1: That was a good recap. Um, so one more note about you know, podcast structure stuff. We are going to stick to sort of not spoiling beyond the season that we are talking about, but we're going to play pretty fast and loose with spoiling this season itself. So if you have not watched The Good Place and you don't want the Massive surprise twist at the end of season one revealed to you.
0: Eleanor Shellstrop is Kaiser Soze.
1: Whoa! Uh, this would be a really good place to pause and just watch thirteen quick episodes of television, and then come back.
0: All right, welcome. Yeah, back. welcome back. You've done it. We're you happy watched to have you. Thirteen
2: episodes of television in a row, just as I did when I watched this show extremely hungover congratulations thanks you're a
1: real <laughs> eleanor schillstrom
0: um so i think the first thing we should do is uh rate this episode uh-huh. um, using five uh very important categories cool uh those categories are dancing ability uh-huh coolness yep dopeness uh-huh freshness uh-huh and smart brain.
1: yeah i know what dancing ability means this yeah And what are we rating? One to five? One to ten?
0: Maximum seven balloons out of seven.
1: This gets a three for dancing ability.
0: There was not a lot of dancing. There was not
1: a lot of dancing, but there was a really good Ariana Grande song that made me want to
0: dance. They should have been dancing, too. Uh, Agreed. Cool? I mean, it was pretty cool. Uh, What would you
2: give it for cool? Out of seven balloons. Seven out of 12 balloons. Out of seven balloons. Great. Seven out of 12 balloons out of seven balloons. I mean, the
0: way Eleanor pronounced shrampies that was really cool that was pretty cool It was really
1: cool I like that yeah. a
0: lot uh dopeness there's just twists galore already in the pilot oh, yeah. episode this so. is
1: one of the dopest episodes
0: yeah as, as dope as it can get so those jumpsuits were dope yeah they're wearing
1: cool jumpsuits they must have
0: made so many of those jumpsuits
1: Michael is wearing a turquoise velvet tuxedo in one scene that's literally what you see in the dictionary when you look up dope yeah yeah
2: oh. nope nothing to add I'm just thinking
1: about that <laughs> Crushed velvet. Make sure whenever you have nothing to add, you say into the microphone nothing to add. Pass.
0: Pass. Uh, Just want everyone to know uh, I'm still here. Freshness. Um, I mean, booping Eleanor on the nose—that was fresh. I don't think I could pull that off. Booping a human being on the nose.
2: I mean, the the clown door is fresh.
0: The clown door was fresh. It was fresh.
2: I I interpreted this as the freshness of the concept of this television show, uh-huh. which is I mean it's as fresh as it possibly could fresh. be. The yeah, first, it's pretty first it's, episode.
0: <laughs> I mean it's also fresh in terms of uniqueness and originality. Like this is a, this is a fresh take on the sitcom. Mm-hmm.
1: I mean this isn't a media criticism show. Keep it keep it together.
0: Okay, smart brained.
1: Oh, there's twelve out of two. <laughs> On the scale of smart brains, this actually isn't one of the top smart brains episodes because we haven't started learning about actual philosophers yet. So I'm I'm scaling it down to uh seven point five balloons out of a forest. Lost you- in a forest.
0: Okay. I'll give it two and a half stars.
2: Seven and a half balloons floating through a forest alone. Yeah, not alone. I mean there's six and a half others <laughs> with, with, with them. With each other. But alone with each other. Alone with each other. As as we
0: all are. <laughs> So the first thing I want to talk about is that scene where Eleanor tells Chidi what's going on. The fact that she doesn't belong there. And she drops this bombshell on him and then tells him not to say anything. (laughs) How, uh, How cool is it to ask people to make promises that you know they can't keep? Promise me you'll keep this terrible secret, Chidi. Promise me. Do you do that, Jessica?
2: Just made a face Uh, like it's your super favorite cast. I I don't want to... I decline to comment on Uh,
1: this. I think it's a pretty incredible way of the series sort of starting to think through the way that it's going to unpack ethics across the whole season. Because... What it's doing right up front is making us think about, you know, a version of good and bad behavior of right and wrong that is neutral and objective. There's just facts about what the good things to do are and what the bad things to do are. And then it brings into relation sort of ethics of care, ethics that are about your relationships with other people. And it right off the front is like, we're going to put these two things in tension with each other so that Chidi has to choose between doing the thing that for all intents and purposes looks like the right thing to do. Right, He thinks he knows that he's a good person and she's a bad person, but she's like, "Mm, but you care about me. And that care is going to be the reason why you break rules
2: for me.
0: Now do a joke. (laughs) So then in Chidi's shoes, what do you do?
2: I think that this episode introduces the fact that Chidi has these incredibly simplistic ideas about ethics, like... You don't lie and you don't break promises, even though he's like this moral philosopher.
0: It's very rigid.
2: It is very rigid and and very simplistic. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, there's something. So there's this moment where Chidi says, where like, so Eleanor's like, this isn't fair, right? It's not fair that because I wasn't perfect, I have to like, suffer forever in the bad place. There should be a medium place for medium people. And Chidi says, well, apparently it doesn't work that way. And that's such yeah. a like, powerful contrast of their
2: characters, right? That he's like, well, this is the way it is.
0: Yeah, wouldn't that be great?
2: He He does not question the system at all. All of these supposedly ethical people don't question the system. They're just like, oh, everyone else is suffering for eternity. But that's fine because I'm <laughs> probably
1: good. Whereas Eleanor, who has like a vested interest in not suffering forever, is like, Can we game the system? So it's hard to say, like, in Chidi's place, Chidi has, like, I have a hard time putting myself in his headspace because his version of the world is so rigid. And And based
0: on other people's rules. Yeah. He's just applying other people's rules to his situation to pass the buck. Yeah. He doesn't have to do the hard work other than agonizing over it and getting a stomach ache.
1: I mean, he's trying really hard to do the hard work. (laughs) <laughs> he's getting he's getting
0: caught up in not being able to do the hard work based on the rigid rules that he's prescribed to himself.
1: Yeah. We're so in that situation, what do you do? I mean, I think I I think I try to help Eleanor be better.
2: Like, I think I'm
1: on board with being like, okay, these are the apparent rules of how this world works.
2: Uh I I feel like I have tried to keep unkeepable promises though, and it truly comes back and bites you in the Ash. That was good. That was good.
0: (laughs) All right. Now, I think what is only fair is that we're geniuses, and the listeners have uh, a glimpse of that now, but we should let them get to know both of you a little bit more in a segment that we're going to call Can't Stop, Won't Stop. (laughs) It's the lightning round. Are you ready, Jessica? Yep. Hannah, are you ready?
1: Oh, ready as I've ever been.
0: Hannah, have you ever worn socks with sandals? Yeah. Jessica, same question. Probably. Hannah, what do you consider to be an overrated virtue?
1: Oh, uh, like most of them.
0: Good answer. Jessica, have you ever posted an inspirational quote on Instagram?
2: Uh, No.
0: Jessica, do you believe in fate? No. Hannah, same question. Yes. Excellent. Also,
1: Crystals and Ghosts. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Hannah, name one fictional villain that you think got a bad rap.
1: Ursula, the sea witch.
0: Excellent. Jessica, same question.
2: Uh, I can't. Lightning Brown. Oh my god, uh also yes. Ursula.
0: <laughs> Hannah, what's up with Kanye West? Oh,
1: I think that uh the way that celebrity and new media warps artists.
0: Damn. Thanks. Fresh take. (laughs) Hannah, what is the most you've ever gone over the speed limit?
1: Uh,
2: like 50.
0: Percent? (laughs) 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 Percent. (laughs) Balloons? 50 (laughs) balloons. Jessica, same question.
2: Um, I definitely have run over the speed. I can't drive. (laughs) (laughs) I can't drive.
0: Jessica, how often is it acceptable to cry?
2: Probably daily.
0: Excellent. Hannah For same sure. question. It's yes, at least once day. a day. At least once a day. Uh Hannah, are soulmates real? No. Jessica, same question. No. Jessica, what happens after you die?
2: You I hope. I think. I hope. I don't know. When do you die? What is death?
0: <laughs> oh God. Okay. What, when are you dead? Uh can't stop, won't stop, is done. Jessica has <laughs> broke the segment.
2: Did stop, have to
1: stop? <laughs>
0: <laughs> what
1: is death? Wow.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Okay, well, Jessica, let's get into it.
2: Yeah, what is death, Jessica? Um, well, because I would have said that what happens after you die might be like the firing of a lot of chemicals, I hope. Mm-hmm. Joyful chemicals. But when are you dead? When, when your joyful chemicals stop <laughs> firing. <laughs> yeah, when you're, if your joyful chemicals are still firing and your heart is no longer beating, are you dead? Okay, so give it a week. Uh, Just so we're real sure that you're yeah, dead. One now one later. It's I mean,
0: Neurons aren't firing. No f- Physiological things are still functioning. At this point,
1: your cats have mostly eaten your
2: body. Now what happens? Decomposition. Okay. All right. That's it? Uh yes. I don't think anything happens. I'm sorry. Oh, you don't have to apologize for that. <laughs> I'm sorry. I mean you're I'm welcome. Sorry about the void. <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> I'm sorry about the void. Oh, new
0: podcast name.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, what do you think? What do you think, florist?
0: Uh I'm gonna keep calling you that. Good. In- 10 bonus points.
1: Um, um,
0: winning at the park. I think nothing. Uh, my remains will be cremated, uh, mixed with glitter, and put into a confetti cannon and fired into the face of my enemies. And then I will cease to exist.
2: You won't cease to exist until
1: after the confetti cannon Oh, no, it'll still be fired. me. I'm not convinced that we totally cease because I'm not convinced that we can meaningfully divide the physical substance that we're made of from who we are. Because who we are is neurons firing and brain matter and all of this other physical stuff. And we know that matter is never destroyed or created. So you keep existing in some form, maybe not in the particular sort of coherent sense of self that is the incidental like coordination of all the matter that you are right now. But if all of that matter becomes something else, and then the matter you are becomes some part of other living things, then you still exist. You just don't exist in the version you know right now.
0: Tree food.
2: But I would say that what I conceive of as myself would include my consciousness, which I think will cease to exist. But what if you radically
1: explode your entire sense of self? <laughs> then you're immortal. Uh,
2: Yeah. Let but me but sell I you on this. If you
1: think of yourself as made out of like <laughs> trees and asteroids and ancient dino poop and get less attached to the notion of self as stable, and unified, then death becomes less terrifying.
2: I
0: I mean, death was never really terrifying. I think some
1: people might be scared of death.
2: I'm totally scared of death. We could do 12 podcasts about this, floating through the forest. That's fair.
1: I'm just six and a half balloons floating through a forest, you know?
0: (laughs) Yeah, I just, I I understand the fear of it, but also like life is a lot, and I kind of want death to be the end of it, if and when it happens. Uh Uh-oh.
2: I mean, it's a terrible paradox, which I think about when I watch this show that no one is freaking out about the fact that they live for an eternity, which is terrifying. Is terrifying. You just
0: have to do stuff forever. I already do enough stuff. I don't want to do more stuff. I want to be done. When can I be done?
1: I don't think. Are def- you sure you don't just need a nap?
0: I mean, I don't want to be done <laughs> right now.
1: Yeah. What if you get a break for a while and then you come back? You can have a couple of millennia off. And then you can have the option of tapping back in if you want. Yes, I want that.
0: I I like the challenge of just trying to do a good job this time and then I did it or I didn't.
1: I mean, that leads us into like maybe one of the most important questions of the show, which is how the unfolding of an afterlife as a real thing really reframes the question of what you're doing in your life, right?
0: Yeah. So here we go. I like to call this segment the same thing we've just been doing, but uh, more.
2: (laughs) all right
0: so this whole show is premised on the concept of like a judgment day not a faith-based version per se but nonetheless a unique and for many unexpected day of judgment judgment day pros and cons
1: cons uh the notion judgment day goes hand in hand with the notion of revelations revelations about what the world is really like revelations imply stasis like we've learned the way that things are now and we have nothing new to learn this is just the way things are forever, right? So there's, yes. it's that whole tension of, like, can you keep growing and learning and being better and trying harder? Well, in this version of the Judgment Day, no. Like, the Judgment has come and gone, and it is done, and now you don't get to change anymore. Nothing gets to change anymore. Right. It's all static forever.
2: Also, once the Judgment Day has come and gone, these people have all been judged good, but now they could be free to be bad, which kind of is strange that there's a before and an after where you have a judgment period and then after that you're in the good place forever and you get to do whatever you please forever the good place could be a terrifying nightmare maybe
1: that's such a good point though just orgies
2: (laughs) are orgies good or bad
0: i mean okay uh (laughs) but the the concept of a day of judgment Uh what am i trying to say there's something there that reminds me of the fact that we our lot in life is just sort of random. Yeah.
1: So the show's already kind of hinting at that when Eleanor gives you some of her backstory. It's already sort right. of setting up to, to start to encourage you to think about how not everybody is set up for success in the same way. So we don't all start right. Right. at a neutral zero. We don't all start in the same position with the same capacities for you know, virtuous behavior. I mean, even the the contrast between Eleanor and Tahani, which, you know, the show's going to unpack and complicate in all kinds mm-hmm. of ways, but right up front, there's also a sort of class-based argument happening there, right? The show's like, okay, maybe it's easier to be magnanimous and virtuous and good if you have unlimited
2: resources and wealth. This comes back to the point of whether there is free will or not.
1: Yeah, like maybe there's, maybe it's not either. Maybe it's free will within
2: deeply structured limitations that have to do with the way the world works. I feel like recently everyone is so much a product of their circumstances that I don't know how the good place is supposed to account for that. And it doesn't. And apparently that's fine by everybody.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's fine by everybody who's already there. I bet it wouldn't be fine by all the people who aren't there. I mean, that's what Eleanor's there for, right? To point out that it's not fair that there's there's lots of complicated reasons why people aren't good i mean the show is fucking with judgment right up front right it's not it's saying like judgment is absurd and hypocritical and it makes it clear right away in the categories of things that we see people getting points for and losing points for Mm. which are not just silly but are also all external yes like they're all behaviors that could be witnessed and they're behaviors that we would witness and judge one another for like using Facebook as a verb. Like it, it deliberately raises the specter of the way that we judge each other on appearances and behavior and attitudes and the, the deep absurdity of that, you know, where do we think that judgment is actually taking us? Like when I look at somebody who says Facebook as a verb or uses the word operationalize unironically, and I'm like, well, you're an asshole. But which I stand by. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: I mean, I don't disagree with that. But
1: like, where you know, built into that whole idea of judging people is like that. It's there's got to be there's got to be a point system and a reward at some point. Yes. Um.
0: And no. And we can't know what everyone will not agree with the, that point system. Yeah. What's valued? What the criteria are? What gets more or less points? So,
2: what is the optimal level
0: of judgment? That's a great question.
2: Yeah
1: who what was I reading I was reading something recently about judgment god damn I wish I could remember and I can't but I will say that it was talking about how judgment as uh judgment can be deployed oppressively right you can use judgment to try to shut people down to tell them that they're bad to to control them um but judgment is also a capacity that you have internally that you use to make your own personal decisions about right and wrong and a total abandonment of judgment as at all, just saying like, well, everything's subjective and all judgment is absurd also releases you from ever having to make judgment calls. And we need to make judgments all the time. We need to make judgments about the decisions we make. We need to make judgments about who to believe and who not to believe about what kinds of relationships to have to be with people. Like we're judging constantly. And right. good judgment is a thing that we're all hopefully as adults
2: trying to develop. I feel that that is one of my least favorite parts of life, which is why I feel that I am a Cheaty because Cheedy also doesn't <laughs> like to make judgments. No, he
1: only wants to think about ideas.
2: <laughs> he doesn't like to make decisions, and I can understand why, because deciding what to judge is horrifying endeavor
1: well and it really is one of those like the more you think about it the more horrifying it becomes because the more pressure you apply the more sort of various possible perspectives and frameworks you have available to you the more it becomes apparent that like well there isn't one easy straightforward one and there isn't a set of decisions that I can make that will be absolutely morally perfect and there's nothing I can do that will let me opt out of complicity with harm or with the evils of the world. So, uh, could I just not have to make any choices at Should all? Can I just
0: quit? Going? Can I just be done now?
1: <laughs> Can I just have a real long nap?
0: Everything feels great. <laughs> yeah, now, all of a now sudden, I welcome death. <laughs> yeah, now the void. Bring on the void. Time
1: for a void Yeah. All right, speaking of decisions, it's time for a new segment, and this segment is called What the Fork? something that's gonna happen and you don't know what to do gotta make a decision because it's all up to you what the fuck yeah jessica are you familiar with the game would you rather Mm -hmm. the premise of this segment is that many ethical conundrums can be reformulated as would you rather questions (laughs) for example would you rather allow a trolley to kill five people or I've divert the trolley and kill one person.
0: I've heard this one. A
1: classic would you rather. Yeah,
0: yeah, 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 yeah. So we're yeah, gonna yeah. play
1: around with this a little bit. Okay. All right, I have a few more. Are we
0: not uh, answering that one? You're not answering that one, that one's good. too hard.
2: Yeah, okay, good. Through.
1: Jessica, would you rather punch a nun or slap a pony?
2: Uh, I'd probably slap a pony because they're slapped all the time and they have notoriously Aww. thick hides. I don't know. I don't think they'd be that bothered. I can't slap very hard.
0: This segment is called Notoriously Thick Hides.
2: (laughs) (laughs) That's a thing, right? (laughs)
0: Uh, They do like it rough.
1: Podcast host. Shoot. Would you rather say something really hurtful to your childhood pet or shoplift from a corner store owned by a kindly old man with a heart condition?
0: How do I know he has a heart condition? You just know. I'd shoplift. I take a thing. I take pretzels. He's gonna die. Because I took the pretzels? Yeah. He needed the condition. salt for his heart condition. He's gonna to die. Yeah, I'd take the, I'd, I'd shoplift. I'd done it before. I'll do it again.
1: Murderer. <laughs> okay, one more. Who wants to take this last one? Jessica, would you rather fart on a crowded bus and lie and say someone else did it or spill a small vial of stink fluid? Yeah, that's right. You heard it here stink fluid <laughs> in your coworker's purse.
2: Can I lie by omission? Of saying anything? Nope, you have to lie out loud on You're the bus. Really- Jackies, <laughs> just just announcing. It was he the farter. <laughs> just announcing that <laughs> person farted. I'm sure I can find a coworker who deserves it. I don't know if any of my coworkers carry purse. A You're purse, but... both
0: real monsters.
2: <laughs> All right, this has been what the fork. Boop.
0: Okay, here's what I want to know most: What does it take to be good enough? Like, what's good enough? Where's the benchmark? Because the stuff that is mentioned at the party is bananas. Uh, Removing all the landmines and donating both of your kidneys and whatever else they said. Like, that stuff's beyond what is possible. Yeah, I
1: mean, that version of virtue that the show is kind of getting laughs out of in the first episode, which is, like, going and participating in relief missions. Like, it's such a simplistic notion of virtue and i say that not to say that there isn't a huge amount of value from people who are doing development work but that whenever there are major international disasters the sites of those disasters suddenly become flooded with incompetent virtue tourists Mm -hmm. who want to make themselves feel better about themselves by showing up and doing something and the actual development workers are always like Uh, could you leave? Because we already have like a thousand people to save from this earthquake. We don't need- Please don't do this. Like you're using up the food and water. Like you're helping nobody get out of here. Right? And so but they get some great Instagram photos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do it for the gram. That's what it takes to be good enough.
0: Just look just look good on Instagram. Just look good on Instagram. That's what it takes to be a good person. I'm garbage. Yeah, sorry. Sorry, baby Instagram.
1: But that right there, that suggests to us something that I think is really important, which is that it's deeply context-specific. Right? There isn't a set of rules or behaviors that everybody could follow and check off, like a grocery list, and at the end. You have the makings of both a very delicious paella and also being good enough. Why do you want to be good enough? What's it in the surface of?
0: I want to do things that I know are bad less often. Okay. How do I do that and why is it so hard?
1: Okay. All right. That's a different question than what does it mean to be good enough? It's like I do things that I wish I didn't. And I want to understand why I do them. And I want to understand how I could do them less. Right. And for me, like my personal approach to ethics is always a system level one. So I'm always asking like in those moments when I am driven to selfishness or to lack of compassion, to indifference in the face of other people's suffering, to using my power in inappropriate ways, to all of those things that we do that make us after the fact feel like garbage, those are positions that I've been put in due to systems, um, systems that have given me power in the first place, systems that pit my welfare against the welfare of others. And so I try to take a step back. What is this, this, this thing going around on the, uh, on, on the internet for a while uh, that said, whenever you are feeling bad about your body, stop and ask yourself who is profiting off this feeling? And I think you could ask something really similar when you're feeling bad about yourself in all kinds of ways. Like, who's profiting off this feeling?
0: Right. Who's benefiting from me feeling like a shit turd waste of space? Yeah. Because we want to think of ourselves as good people. I want to think of myself as a good person, a moral person. But we also find ourselves in situations where we want to lie or cheat or shirk our responsibility or where doing that would actually be beneficial to us Mm -hmm. right so what's going on in that gap right the space between the moral character we want to have or think we should have and then what we actually do how do we close that gap how do i close that gap how do i make less bad choices fewer bad choices how do i make fewer (laughs) bad choices i just fixed one of them (laughs)
2: Yeah, you just committed immoral grammar. I feel like on a practical level, this is all some kind of evolutionary thing where we're like social animals, so we want to do what benefits us. But also what benefits us is what makes us right with our surroundings Mm -hmm. and community. And so those things are in competition with each other a lot of the time. Right? Like I want to survive. I want to
1: gather all of the resources and hoard them. And I also want to not be
2: cast out. Mm -hmm. But if we entered like an apocalyptic scenario where I must kill you in order to survive, then the rules would be completely different because I would probably kill you to survive.
0: Context is important. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But there's also something going on psychologically. Yeah. Can I tell you
2: about a
1: really specific example I've been thinking about a lot lately? Yes, please do. So there is this... This trope, this sort of familiar figure, which is the outraged middle aged white woman who demands to speak to the manager. Mm-hmm. Um, she is often referred to as a Becky on Twitter. And it's, we've seen a lot of sort of versions of this woman over the past couple of years. She is often a woman who is calling the cops on black people. And uh, I am a middle class white lady who is approaching middle age. Oh,
0: Congratulations.
1: Okay. I'll get there soon if I don't die first. <laughs> And I have been noticing recently that I have found myself getting very impatient in some customer service situations and starting to get snippy mm. with people, especially in airports, uh, because I find airports very, very stressful, and I find the arbitrary rules very scary and very
0: disempowering. They're built that way. They're built that way, right? You're to make supposed you feel to feel that way, powerless scared and, and terrified out. and anxious, so and... that
2: so that you have less to lose when your plane plunges. <laughs>
0: That's a different podcast, Jessica. We'll get into your, your. This is
2: great. I can't wait to
1: make a spinoff for this, Jessica's Fear of Death.
0: Yeah. Uh, the spinoff from Bad Choices is called Bad Plane Crashes, a podcast about Jessica and her anxiety.
1: So I catch myself doing it in those moments, and I, I hate it about myself um, because, like, it's a bad look. It's just objectively a bad look, but it is also, I think, unkind behavior. To, to be snippy with people in customer service positions, to be rude to people in customer service positions is bullshit.
0: Agree. It is always bullshit. Kindness costs you nothing.
1: So I've been trying to take that step back and be like, okay, where is this coming from? Like, where is this coming from for me personally? And also, why is this a thing that middle-class white ladies do a lot? And I've been thinking a lot about how... That behavior actually really indicates something specifically about where whiteness and womanhood align, which is to say that as a woman, I feel really powerless a lot of the time. I'm really scared a lot of the time and I'm condescended to, I'm talked over, I'm told to smile, I like all of this this bullshit about how my gender influences how people treat me. At the same time, as a white person, I have a certain lack of fear of institutions. I am not afraid the cops are going to shoot me. I'm not afraid I'm going to be unjustly arrested and absorbed into the carceral system. Uh, I know that these institutions were mostly built to protect me and keep, keep me safe. And so I'm angry and irritable because people are treating me like trash all the time. But I feel free to express that anger Mm -hmm. and irritation outwardly, openly, via aggression, via rudeness, via demands for better service because of my whiteness. And
0: you won't experience the repercussions for doing so the same way other people in the same system will.
1: Exactly. And so understanding for me, that thinking, actually thinking, taking that step back and being like, okay, like I understand why I'm angry right now. And I also understand why I think it's an okay response to be rude to this person. And that understanding in that context and having sort of taken a step back and thought about that, that for me helps me disrupt that behavior that I don't have like in the moment where I feel that urge to be like, actually, you know what? You can shut up with your, I would never tell them to shut up. My God, can you imagine? (laughs) Can you imagine? But in that moment where I want to get snippy with somebody, taking that step back and being like, no, I think I, I've thought about this. I know where this is coming from. I can disengage a little bit from this behavior.
0: The people that I spend time with that I would consider good people or better people than me seem to have that Our ability. Our Jessica. Yes. <laughs> the thing about Jessica and people who can do that is that they have the ability to see those situations from a perspective that is not your own. Yeah. You don't go through life experiencing every single moment as you versus everyone else, you versus the world around you. They're able to take a step back and be like, oh, traffic isn't keeping me stuck here. I'm not late because I'm stuck in traffic. It's like I am traffic. I'm part of this. It's not me versus everyone else. I can see what's going on here from a different perspective. And that's really hard to do. And
1: it's where so many of our characters in The Good Place are stuck, right? They're stuck uh, on me and what makes me good and what, you know, how things are going to impact me.
0: What I think needs to be done in this situation or how I think we need to solve this problem. Yeah. Or here's what I want to happen right now in this moment and that thing is to boop another human being on the nose <laughs> which is should never be acceptable can we talk about the ethics of booping Just don't
1: boop. you know what you can always boop cats
0: can you yep
1: oh i sure hope so oh no i sure hope so Uh-oh. oh I'm going straight to cat house. i
0: know right think about it and then think about some good answers to these questions because it's advice time
1: you, you you ought
0: to know this is a segment called you ought to know in which listeners write to us uh, for advice because they have ethical problems that they cannot deal with on their own and we have ethical answers and Hannah and our esteemed guest guide them through the thorny path of life in 2019
1: just follow this balloon in the forest it will lead you out of the thorns
0: (laughs) our first balloon is damien from vancouver damien writes i work at a software company and our development team is very big and our work often overlaps i have noticed over the past few months that a colleague keeps taking credit for work that isn't hers In casual conversation with our boss, claims that clever bits of code were her idea, takes credit for squashing bugs that I know other people, such as myself, have actually fixed. I don't really care. I'm not the type of person to rat someone else out over something relatively low stakes. But what I want to know is whether this makes it okay for me to exact a little revenge. Can I start taking credit for some of their work?
2: Yeah, I think you can. Why not? Just yes. Wow. Wow. (laughs) The answer is yes. Uh you wanted something off the cuff, gonna, and that's what it is.
1: I'm going to say no. Um, I'm going to say I'm pretty sure two wrongs don't make a right. But how wrong I've heard, is I've it? heard
0: that before somewhere.
1: Tell me more about this. Either it's not wrong, in which case you have no justification for revenge, or it is wrong, in which case you shouldn't do it.
2: Or, third option, it's sort of wrong, and you can kind of do it because... It doesn't matter.
1: (laughs) You can kind of do it in such a good ethical framework. This is
2: sort of wrong, but you can kind of do it. I think that if you truly do not care that this person is taking credit for your work, you will feel no compunction to get revenge or even to write this letter, which means you actually care. You do care on some level.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You wouldn't want revenge if you didn't care, which means that you care.
0: So they're a liar. So the
1: answer is, you care. You You lie. So (laughs) your
0: advice is stop lying, Damien.
1: Well, I mean, it's the first step, right? Recognize, Recognize that you do actually care. You are actually bothered. And that's fine because taking credit for other people's work in a workplace scenario can actually cause harm. Absolutely. Right? So I don't know. What would you do in that situation
2: if you were Damien? Personally, I'm sure I would simmer over it for a long time and do nothing until I became irrationally angry over something else that made no sense.
0: And then died and slipped into the inky black void.
2: Yep, we all die. This doesn't matter.
0: I think we've solved that problem. Yeah,
2: I think the answer to every ethical question is we we all die.
0: die. (laughs) die. We all die, so why bother doing anything? Sarah from Toronto writes, My roommate just left for a second date with the guy she met At a concert. She really likes him. And spent a lot of time getting ready. That meant she ended up running late. And just as she was heading out the door. Asked me whether I liked her outfit. (gasps) It all happened so fast. That I just said quote. Uh it's cute. But the truth is that it was not a cute look. Do I run after her? Do I text her with my true feelings about her bad style choices? Do I pretend that I like it for the rest of my life? If this was just a random Tinder date, I wouldn't care, but she seems to really like this guy. How honest am I obliged to be? And does the level of obligation change after a certain period of time? Heterosexuality is a hoax, Sarah. <laughs> Nothing to stick here.
2: Yeah, just, ah, just quit ah, that.
0: Ah, ah, <laughs> is there a statute of limitations on honesty are you required to be more honest the more proximal to said event
1: i think there are forms of honesty that go down better much much later like i think you can tell people you're like remember that time in high school where i told you that i lost the shirt that you lent me yep didn't lose it burned it because i thought it was ugly
0: Remember that time you thought we were your parents for the past 12 years? <laughs> well, I'm about to I'm about to rock your world. <laughs>
2: Yeah, that one just gets better with age.
0: (laughs) Wow, wow, wow. (laughs) Okay, all right. Uh, Important nuances to pay attention to when it comes to honesty, Mm -hmm. is what I'm learning. Uh, We have one more. Uh, This is uh, Alex from Portland. Uh, Thanks, Alex. Uh, I was visiting my family last weekend, and my younger brother told a gay joke. It was funny. I laughed. No, bad. My older brother who has been out since we were all in our teens, was also there for said joke. He rolled his eyes, but didn't seem upset. Is it ever all right to laugh at a well-crafted, but moderately homophobic joke? I don't feel like I did a bad thing, but I think that I may have done a bad thing. Being
2: homophobic feels pretty fine, so...
0: <laughs> Is it ever okay to laugh at a gay joke?
2: I, I laughed at a gay joke. <laughs> yeah, I think there's lots of
1: great gay jokes. I think... Disproportionately, they're told by gay people. (laughs) That's true. The equivalent that comes up in sort of feminist conversations about stand-up comedy all the time is rape jokes. There are funny rape jokes. Not all rape jokes are funny. The difference is, you know, is the joke causing or perpetuating harm?
0: That's an important criteria. Tell us the gay joke you thought.
2: This was just like kind of a straight-up gay joke? Or it was using gay... Don't contextualize it, just tell us the joke you monster. So there was a YouTube (laughs) video... For the song, uh, some song by that band Owl City. I
0: don't know that band.
2: No, we're not cool. All right. No, it's not cool. It's really not cool. It's like a ripoff of the Postal Service is how What's not the Postal cool Service it
0: is. a ripoff of the Postal so, Service? So
2: there's a line in this song that is, uh, I believe it was something about, I wish I could get 10,000 hugs from 10,000 lightning bugs. <laughs> and there was a comment that said, that essentially was like, I don't mean to be homophobic, but... That is the gayest line I've ever heard. <laughs> yeah, that's not wrong.
0: Yeah, I think that's acceptable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's fair. Yeah. That's pretty gay. Yeah. As a gay, I can say that's a gay. That's a gay. <laughs> <laughs>
2: i wrestled with my response to that comment for a long time. But you see how that's like not about heart. It's like, you know (laughs) what, gays love? Hugs from lightning bucks. (laughs) Versus like, who
1: the fuck, the guy who was supposed to host the Oscars.
0: Oh, uh, Kevin Hart. Yeah,
1: and the joke that he had made that people were upset about was him saying that if his son ever exhibited gay tendencies, he definitely said it in a funnier way than that, uh, he would like break a dollhouse over his head. Like, it was about child abuse.
0: Not funny. Not funny.
2: Not funny.
0: No. Jokes
2: about But if he'd been like, funny. if I have a homosexual child, I'm going to give them 10,000 lightning bugs to hug.
1: Yeah, that's the greatest. It's not even a joke. It's, it's not, not a joke. I anymore. mean,
0: that's just a, a nice sentiment. It's just, so that's just nice. good parenting. That's just being a good parent. Congratulations. I mean, we've known for a while. Here's your lightning bugs. <laughs> have a nice life. Imagine
1: if Came out, you were presented with ten thousand lightning bolts. Yeah, that
2: has not happened yet. I'm now wondering if I just created this lyric, which would be horrifying
0: or beautiful. You're (laughs) a poet. Should make music.
2: Yeah, don't you? (laughs)
0: Uh, I think we hit it all.
1: Great. Well, what's our final segment?
0: This is called You Learn. It's a segment where Hannah and Jessica suggest one thing each that our listeners can do or think about or try or explore to help them become better people too.
2: Okay, I have one. That's good. I don't know if it will make you a better person, but Wait, it might. That's the whole point. It will make you a better person. Dead. I have started sometimes when I feel impatience. What were we talking about before? Something brought up the fact that you were like Stuck in your own subjective position, and you feel impatience with other people. Like
0: inability to see things from different perspectives in different situations.
2: So I feel like it can help to like set a parameter where you you choose in advance to be patient. So when you are waiting for the bus and everyone is taking forever to get on and you feel the inner urge to fight past them you instead decide that you will always be the last person to get on the bus be last on the bus just get on the and bus first last to die in a plane crash. <laughs> Be the last person on the bus. It's
0: choosing to not get upset. Right. Giving yourself permission to be okay with things not going as you maybe would hope they would in a different situation. Right. That's a real gift. That's delightful. I love that. I'm going to give that 900 balloons. Yay. Out of seven. We're out of stock. Uh, Hannah.
1: This is a thing I've learned from teaching. Um, I read a tweet the other day. Somebody was saying that they were teaching a class and... A student came to class super late and then was really distracted and not paying attention through the rest of the class. And so she asked the student after class, like, what was up? And he was like, oh, my mom died this morning and I didn't know where else to go. So I just decided to come to class anyway. Damn. And she said in the tweet that in that moment, she decided that from then on, she would never assume she knew anything that was going on with her students. And I think that is actually a really great across-the-board ethical tip. Do not assume that you know what is going on with people? There is shit going on in people's lives you can barely begin to imagine. So the attribution of uh, motivations to other people, for me at least, is often the foundation of my irritation. Like, oh, you're being really loud on purpose to ruin my day. Or, oh, you you know, cut me off and got on the bus before me because you are selfish and think you matter more than me.
0: The person in front of you in the grocery store line is using all their coupons this time to make sure you're gonna be late in for dinner. In my
1: personal experience, like I think my upstairs neighbors are assholes because they're being loud until I meet them. And then I'm like, oh, you're just humans who are walking around on your floor.
2: Yeah. They've just got like massive feet that you just didn't know about. Feet. <laughs> Just the biggest feat.
1: And it's like, you don't know why people are doing the th- things they're doing. You do not know other people's motivations. You do not know what is happening in other people's lives. So, try
0: to be chill. That's a great one. Check yourself before you wreck yourself. Just
1: check yourself before you wreck yourself <laughs> is going to be our
0: weekly tip. <laughs> uh, thanks to both of you for coming to do this podcast thing with me. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you to Shout Out 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 for letting us use their song, Bad Choices. It's off their album Reintegration Time. They're a delight. Go check them out. Um, Yeah, check out the next episode. It's already available. And uh, if you're not going to do that, you're going to go do something else. Just uh, make good choices. last that was, that was perfect This has been Bad choices Until next time, get on the bus last. Perfect. Every second of this recording was blurry. Make good choices. Get on the bus last. on the bus last. I'm just gonna get to Cartoon Draft and I fought it all over this bus.